perspective. First of all, even in comparison with the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 90% of the material in the Gospel of John is unique to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities between them. They share a lot. But John is very unique. Most of his material, most of his view of the life of Jesus Christ is unique to him. And I, I think there's a couple reasons for that. Let's remember that there was no disciple of Jesus that was closer to Jesus than John was. John was the one who laid his head on the chest of Jesus uh, during the Last Supper. John was the only disciple that ended up at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. It was John that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary to. John had a very, very unique relationship and perspective on Jesus Christ. And when John writes, one of the things you and I will learn about John is that unlike some other writers who you can just sort of feel the fact that they're just, they can't wait to get to the next thing and it's like, they would be like, like Jeff, look at this. And then, Jeff, now look at this. And, and they're like, you know, they're traveling through just like spitting all these things out and they can't wait to get to the next thing. John is just the opposite. John is a very reflective person, and he writes in a very reflective style. In other words, John is the kind of person that can be in the moment and enjoy the moment, and not be so, you know, focused on what's coming next that he couldn't enjoy the moment that he was in. He was able to soak up that particular moment without looking down the road. And so when John writes his material about Jesus Christ, what he wants us to do, and even in the way he writes it, he wants us to slow down. And he wants us to take this gospel very slow. Because a lot of what John is going to share with us not only needs to be reflected on and pondered, but it is so profound that if we don't take it slow and reflect upon it, we're going to miss a lot. And so I say all that to even say, as we begin this study of the Gospel of John, I'm not even going to go as slow as we should go in this Gospel. My encouragement, though, is that some things that John shares about the Word, and tonight he's going to introduce the Word to us, that we will begin to just sort of ponder those and reflect on those, not just for the rest of tonight, but maybe even this week, maybe even this month, maybe even for the rest of this year. We will continue to reflect on these wonders, if you will, uh, of Jesus and, and how John reveals to us Jesus Christ. So take it slow. Don't ever rush through any of John's writings. Learn to reflect and ponder what John is saying because it is so profound. 
in what he's trying to communicate to us. For instance, much of the very first chapter of the Gospel of John is in many ways very similar and parallel to Genesis chapter 1. They start out somewhat the same. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Here, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God. When John uses the phrase, in the beginning, he's not saying that Jesus Christ had a beginning. He's actually trying to communicate that the Word had no beginning, always was, but everything else that I'm going to talk about, everything else in the universe that had a beginning, had its beginning from the Word. That He was the active cause of everything. That He was the origin. And nothing else had a beginning apart from the Word. The Word was a part of everyone's and everything's beginning. He was in the first place before everything. You and I could just talk about, you know, think about that for a while. You know, that's something that, you know, we might say, well, you know, children have a hard... I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. The fact that God has always been... God never had a beginning. And again, for you and I, all we've ever known is things have a start, a middle, and an end. And, and for us to try to grasp a little bit of the fact that God is eternal. He was from the beginning and before anything else began, and He was in the first place and always has existed, is a profound thought. But again, John is trying to get us to see and comprehend the greatness of God. The magnificence of God. The glory of God. Instead of trying to reduce God to manageable terms that you and I can understand and, and maybe manage and in some way think we can manipulate maybe, God, or John is trying to say, let God be God. And let there be a mystery. And let there be a limit of the unlimited one. Yes, we have a limit to understand the infinite and the one who's not limited. But let Him be who He is. And let's not try to bring Him down in any way. When John describes Jesus, and obviously I'm... I'm taking this, that that's who he's talking about. I think that will become clear as you read and study the Gospel of John. He describes Jesus in a sort of a curious way at the very beginning of his Gospel by using a very technical term in the Greek language. It's the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. When you and I use the word, Word, in the English, it's, it's a pretty basic, simple, narrow term. But in the Greek language, it was much more profound than that. 
if I can, I'm going to try to do my best at, at explaining it. It was a way of speaking and expressing out the mind and will of something or someone. So in a sense, John is saying that Jesus, the Word, literally expressed to us the mind and will of God. Another meaning of Logos is that it is the power behind everything. That even the Greeks, who obviously believed in a lot of different gods, even they understood that as they looked out at this universe, that there had to be something or someone behind it all. And that is even the term that they used for the power behind all this. Because obviously what we're seeing and what we're discovering and what we're learning about our universe and what's around us is way bigger than man could have ever come up with on their own. Logos. And you and I understand this a little bit in the fact that when we think about the word as a term of expression, another thing we have to realize is that If we're created in the image of God, that means obviously God created us to express and be expressive. But what we have to also understand is just like with God, there is a proper way to express ourselves and an improper way to express ourselves. God, the Word, always expressed Himself, always does express Himself in a proper way. And obviously part of our spiritual relationship with God and growth is hopefully as we move in life with God, we will learn to express ourselves in proper ways more often than improper ways. The thing I would like us to think about tonight and hopefully think about for a while is the power of the Word Because if this is parallel to the Genesis account, then we know, I think, a little bit about what John is trying to also get across when he says, in the beginning was the Word. Because we're not going to take time to go back there, but let me just remind us a little bit about what Genesis 1 says. It goes through the creation of the universe. And Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, will say, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said, I want stars. I want planets. I want water. I want mountains. I want valleys. And God said, and God said, and God said. And over and over again in Genesis 1, it's, and God said, the Word of God came forth and literally out of nothing created everything in the universe. That's a powerful Word. And simply by speaking, by expressing His mind And His will, God, caused everything to be. And what John, I think, is wanting us to just grasp a little bit is, if this is who God is, then we need to allow that Word into our life. 
Because if there's anything that can change and transform lives, it is the Word of God. If the Word of God can bring a universe out of nothing simply by speaking, then what can the Word of God do in our lives to change us? And what can it do in other people's lives to change their lives? The Word of God. And then later on in Genesis... The Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. And He created us. Simply by speaking a word. You and I, you know, again, if if we want to try to build something or whatever, but we just can't speak it, and there it is. God can. And, And what it reminds us of, again, is that If we allow God to speak into our life and over our life, how different our life could be simply through the Word. And Jesus here, He's also trying to say, is the very embodiment of the mind and will of God. He is the personification of God. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and notice, and the Word was with God. Now, in a minute, he's going to also say he is God. And so, but first, he wants us to understand that this God is one God, but exists in three distinct persons. And yet, as these distinct persons, they had such a loving, and always do have such a loving, close relationship, fellowship, communion with each other, always have and always will. Which again then brings what happened on the cross when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It takes that up to a whole other level. Because one of the things that John is saying here is God has always been with God. Now again, to us, if we don't slow down and think about that, that might not really impact us. But what John is simply saying is this. Try to illustrate it this way. We could get on an elevator somewhere and we could exist in the same space with somebody. But if, if we get on an elevator, can I just tell you, it's awkward to get on an elevator with somebody you don't know. You ever see how they look at you like, oh, I hope, you know, you're, are you okay? It's a, that, that's a closed space, you know. So anyway, you get on this elevator, you're with somebody in the elevator, but you don't know them. But there's a whole different dynamic whenever you get on an elevator with somebody you know. Because then it's not just a matter of you're physically with them occupying the same space. There's a relationship there. There's an understanding there. There's, there's a foundation there. There's, there's knowledge there. You all know each other. That's what John's saying about God. God not only has always been, but He has always been with each other. And it's such a loving, caring communion that they have with each other. Again, that's why God, when God calls us to Himself, He calls us to Himself because by His very nature, He is a God who wants to be in a relationship and fellowship with others, if that's the way He's always been ever since ever with Himself, 
How much more than when He chose to create us, does He want to have that kind of communion with us? And how much then does He desire for us to have that kind of connection and communion with each other? Which is why the Bible calls us to koinonia, to fellowship, to community, to connect with each other. Because when we do that as Christians, we're literally, in a sense, giving an example of the kind of fellowship and communion that exists even within the Godhead. And then he goes on to say, as if there would be any doubt in John's mind, and this word that I'm telling you about, he is fully God. Fully God. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is fully God. And the Bible clearly says that no one can know God apart from accepting the truth that Jesus Christ is fully God. He's the Son of God. And He shares all the attributes, nature, essence, and character of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In verse 2, the Word, this powerful Word that's behind everything, this expression of the mind and will of God was with God in the beginning, in the very first place, before anything else was, there was God. And then he says in verse 3, all things. Remember what I said. All means what? All, and that's all. All means. All things, other than God, who was not created. All things were created by Him. Wow. Jesus Christ, along with the Holy Spirit and God the Father, created all things. The word created here not only means to come into existence by, it means to fashion. There is a, a, an artistry, if you will, in this word. There is a creative peace to this word. And again, what I want us to be reminded of then is that if we're made in the image of God, that means also there is a creativity in each of us. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that all of us are going to end up being world famous painters or in that way we think of creative or art or something. But it does mean that because we are all created in the image of God, all of us have some kind of creativity in us that God wants to bring out. And He also wants us to understand that Jesus Christ Himself, the Word of God, looks at us as a work of art by Him Himself. In other words, John is trying to get us to see, do you realize that not only the entire universe, everything that was created, 
And we could certainly think about that for a while. You start thinking about all the animals and plants and, and the stars and the planets and all that shows the wonderful creativity and artistry of, of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about it even from the aspect of you. John is saying to us, by the Word of God, every one of you is a work of art by Jesus Himself. Now, I love art. And one of the things I love to do is, anytime I visit usually a major city, one of the things I would like to do is get into an art museum and view art. I love to just look at art. And of course, one of the things that makes art what it is to some degree and of value is who painted it who did it is their signature is is their mark on that work of art and one of the things we have to realize is that jesus christ has put his mark if you will on each one of us and the next time you and I think about ourselves and, and look at ourselves, we need to remind ourselves that we were created by God, by Jesus Himself, and He fashioned us. He took time to individually fashion us. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, even when all of us were in our mother's womb, He wove us together in there. That's why we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the words there in the Hebrew mean that we are distinct we are unique. There is no other one exactly like us because Jesus took the time to uniquely design and create every one of us. He did that. And then he goes on to say, not only were all things created by Him, but apart, separate from Him, not one thing that was created that has been created. So anywhere you and I look, anything we come in contact with in the created universe, everything that has creation finds its origin in the Word of God. It, it could not come into existence apart from the Word speaking out and speaking forth and saying, let it be done. And to think about the intricacies and then the vastness of the universe. Again, John is saying, slow down here. When you and I think about the Word and who the Word is and what the Word has done, let's not rush through this. Let's reflect on this. In fact, the next time you see an ant, don't squash it. Take time to think about it and observe it. In fact, the Bible even tells us to do that. Book of Proverbs says, go to the ant. Watch how the ant works. You can learn from the ant, Solomon says. Everything in creation is speaking to us something about our Creator, the Word. And we can learn a lot about who God is and who the Word of God is by observing all the things that He has created. Including us. There's not one of us alike. There's such diversity in God's... If, if our God even gets to the point where He makes 
no two snowflakes exactly alike? Really, God? Like, I'm not going to notice that those snowflakes aren't exactly alike, right? Unless maybe we take the time to take all these snowflakes apart and put them under a microscope, then I begin to see the beauty of them. And in a sense, that's what John is saying. He says, we get racing through life and we go through our lives so quickly that we don't allow ourselves to slow down enough to take time to even look around and really even become more acquainted with God through all that He's created, including us. And He doesn't want us to do that. And then He says this. Well, you can tell we're not going to get very far, are we? That's okay. (laughs) Verse 4. He begins to introduce two concepts that will run throughout the Gospel. Life and light. And what John is going to teach us is this. Life and light are woven together. The more I experience the life of God, the more I will experience the light of God. The more I experience the light of God, the more I will experience the life of God. They are intertwined. So here's what he says. In Him, in the Word, was life. Now, this word for life isn't the Greek word bios, where we get our word biology from. B-I-O-S. In other words, John is not saying, even though he's talked now about physical creation, He wants to sort of change it a little bit. He's saying, look, I've already told you that all things physically exist because of Him and have physical life because of Him. But now I want to talk to you about another kind of life. The Greek word that he uses here is not the word bios, it's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. And this word means a eternal full, abundant life. Life on a higher plane. It's not just a quantity of life. I'm going to live forever. It's a quality of life. And so notice what John is saying. The only way God's creation, even though they've been physically created by the Word, can experience a higher quality of life is to be in the Word. To be in Him. We can physically exist because of Him, but we cannot experience real life, abundant life, a better quality of life apart from Him. That's the only way we can. And then he goes on to say, this life, this higher quality of life, This abundant, full, eternal life was the light of mankind. So don't miss what John's saying. Again, let's reflect on it. John is saying the only way that we can be enlightened, the only way that we can be illuminated is by experiencing this higher quality, abundant life. Again, they're intertwined. So the more I 
go after this abundant, higher quality of life, the more my life will be illuminated. The more my way will be illuminated. The more clarity there will be. The the more uh, understanding there will be. The more light there will be. If I do not choose to walk down this road of higher life, then my path will be very dark. There won't be the enlightenment and the illumination. It only comes because it's intertwined with the life. So that's why, even from a Christian perspective, there can be many followers of God in a technical sense. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They know their sins are forgiven. They know they're on their way to heaven, so to speak. But if they're still not choosing to live this higher quality of life that Jesus offers, this abundant life, then the kind of illumination and enlightenment that they could have, they don't. Then he goes on to say, in verse 5, and this light continuously in the Greek language. This light continuously shines on in the darkness. But the darkness has not mastered it. A couple things. Now John is saying, look, you all know in this universe that God has created, there's light and darkness. There's physical light and darkness. There's also spiritual light and darkness. Because again, John has sort of transitioned a little bit from just talking about physical creation to something a little bit higher. That Zoe kind of life. Spiritual life. And now John is saying, so in that respect, let's reflect on this. The light of Jesus Christ, the Word, not only continuously shines, but no matter how Deep and wide, if you will, the darkness gets. The darkness will never overtake and conquer the light. That's the power of the light that Christ brings. And in the Greek language, this word mastered, can mean to grasp. In other words, it's not wrong to say, well, part of it is too that the light is shining in the darkness and those who choose to walk in darkness don't grasp the light. That's certainly true. But I think in the context here, John is saying more than that. He's saying that the darkness will never overpower it. The darkness will never overcome it. No matter how dark it gets. Because... It's the light that's coming from the Word of God. And that light will never be extinguished. Never. By the way, we're going to get there in a couple chapters, but let's also remember the words of Jesus a few chapters over about light and darkness. John chapter 3. Jesus says, Here's why men and women won't come to the light. Because they love the darkness more than the light. Because if they come to the light, my light, their deeds will be exposed. 
And Jesus says, most people don't want to be exposed. So they would rather stay in the darkness than come to the light. That's a tension that you and I have. Because we all know that to be true. If we as Christians want to grow, if we want to experience the abundant, full, higher quality of life that God has for us, guess what that requires? That requires us coming into the light and just letting God's light expose us and point out all the stuff. Yet that's the only way that we can really grow and advance in God's kingdom. So we have to get to a point where though it's somewhat yucky to come into the light because we're exposed, we're laid bare, we're laid open, and all of our yuckiness is laid out there, that God is saying, but that's the only way that that you and I can deal with what needs to be dealt with is if you're willing to acknowledge it and bring it out into the open and bring it out into my light and let's deal with it and move on. So many people today would rather stay in the darkness. Literally, they choose to stay in the uncomfortable place that they're at rather than making a change. You know why? Because they fear that the change they might make might not be any better than the uncomfortable position that they're at. It's all based on fear. And we know the Bible teaches fear, that kind of fear doesn't come from God. See? God wants to build our faith. So John here is beginning to introduce to us the word... But in verse 6, he wants to introduce us to the introducer of the word. A man by the name of John the Baptist. And so he sort of takes a break for a moment and says, Hey, a man came sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that everyone might believe through Him. I want to encourage you and end with this tonight. Notice John is not saying that John the Baptist wanted people to believe in Him, but to come to believe in the Word through Him. And that would come through John being willing to witness and to testify about light, about spiritual truth, about what God has revealed, about the enlightenment and illumination that God has given him. And guess what? God is saying to us tonight, I don't expect you to try to get people to believe in you. What I do expect is if you are a follower of mine and you know me and you know the Word, I expect you to live your life in such a way that others can come to believe in the Word through you. Through you. Again, God values us that much. 
and believes that every one of us can influence others in the right way and express God in a proper way to cause some to come to believe in the Word through us. And we can do that by witnessing or testifying about light. Here's what I'd like to leave you with. I know you guys are going to say, man, you're giving us homework again. This is two weeks in a row. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Word, laid a foundation for God to work through His personal testimony. Hear me. John the Baptist laid the foundation for others to come to believe in Jesus through His personal testimony. And my friends, that plan of God has not changed in a couple thousand years. God still believes in the power of personal testimony. Of you and I who've come to know the light and experience the life that comes through the Word of God. He believes that if we just learn to share our personal testimony with others, that some of them who hear will be persuaded to begin to believe or at least have a greater interest in learning more about the Word. I want to share this in a couple minutes. I would like you to consider, if you've never done this before, writing out in the next couple of weeks your personal testimony. And here's, here's some guidelines I will give you to help. It doesn't have to be long. In fact, it's better if it's not. It should be one page double-spaced if you're typing. No more than that. And it should contain three distinct elements that, again, we have to put some thought into so that we don't get too wordy. Because can I just say, some of you can get quite wordy. You could just go on and on and on. Three distinct elements. What was my life like before I came to Christ? So the key word there is before. That's the one to remember. Before. You and I need to spend a few moments, a few lines on what was our like, life like before. And again, we don't need to go into all the sin we were involved in and all that kind of stuff. We could simply say something like, you know what? I tried this. I thought this is what life was all about. And I was still empty. I was still unfulfilled. That, that might be, in a sense, in essence, what the before is. Then the second element is, how did I come to Christ? Keyword there, how. When did I hear the gospel about Jesus Christ? Who shared maybe that gospel with me? 
And when did I personally receive Christ as my Savior? How did that come about? Before, how, and then the third element is, and what's happened after. Keyword there, after. And can I share with you that honestly, the two most important parts are the how did I come to Christ and what's Christ done for me after. Though many people, when they talk about sharing their personal testimony, they spend an hour in front of people telling them how bad they were before Christ came into their life. Honestly, that's not going to... We don't need to spend that much time on that element. Again, the shorter the testimony, the more people will stay with you. And what people then need to obviously see is, how has Jesus changed my life? How am I different? How are things different for me after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior? Before, how, and after. And if you want, if you want to know where did you get that formula or elements for it, read the, read the book of Acts. Anytime the, especially Paul in the later chapters that he's sharing his testimony with people, he always shares those three elements. Here's what my life was like before Christ. Here's how I came to Christ. He talks about the Damascus Road experience. And here's what my life has been after. A personal testimony. God wants us to understand that our personal testimony is powerful. He can use it and will use it if we just have the faith to take a little time to maybe, again, reflect on it, develop it, think about it, put some things down on paper, put it on words, think about it to the point where once we've, you know, thought about it enough, then when we're maybe in conversation with someone who's maybe searching or even an opportunity that comes out of the blue, we'll get to a point where we don't even have to think about it. It'll just flow because our testimony has become a part of us. And we have to realize that one of the profound things that John is saying is even though this great God who created everything that there ever was and who wants to have a relationship with us and who, in fact, created us, that we're, we're a work of art of His, that part of His plan was also then to use us to shine our light and let our light shine. The spiritual illumination and, and enlightenment that we have been given to others so that others can come to believe in the Word through us. And it's no different than the way John did it. He simply witnessed and testified to the light that he had. And there were people who came to believe in Jesus through him. If you are left with anything other than the profound thoughts about the word tonight as you leave here, leave here with these thoughts. There is at least somebody right now even, and more to come while you're alive, while you're still here. That God wants to use your life and your personal testimony to reach them for Christ. Who may that be right now? 
And by you taking just a little bit of time, maybe over the next week or two, to develop a personal testimony, even maybe put your words down and organize your thoughts and whatever, and think about it, is there someone even that you know of right now that, that God may be saying, and when you get these thoughts developed, and when you think about this a little bit, and when you have faith in me that I can use your personal testimony, here's who I want you to begin to pray for, and here's who I want you to begin to think about sharing that with. And if you don't know of anybody right now, trust me, God will bring people into your life. Because His plan has not changed. He wants to use you to cause others to believe in Him through you. Think about that. Ponder that. Reflect upon that. John says. Let's pray. God, uh, John, John is such a unique man. He had such a unique relationship with Jesus. Such a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And yet, in all the time that he spent with Jesus, time that you and I sometimes are envious of, yet John is trying to say, you don't understand. He was so much greater than even I could have ever comprehended when I was walking with Him. He's so much bigger. Everything He's done is so much greater. And even in His person, there's no way we can completely as finite human beings ever wrap our mind around an infinite, unlimited God. And yet there are things that we can be enlightened about. There are truths that we can be illuminated about. That God can help us to understand as we intertwine the life that God gives us with the light He will give us. And He wants to shower us with His life and light so that He can use our lives these unique, distinct lives that are works of art from Jesus Himself to reach out into the world in which we live and to allow others to come to believe in the Word of God through us. I hope every one of us here tonight, God, understands that we can be used, that others can come to believe in You through us. Help us to have faith in You and in Your plan and in what You created us for. Help us to reach our potential. And help us, Lord, to realize the power of our own personal testimony. It doesn't have to be some great, flashy testimony with all kinds of details. It has to be simple. It has to be something that resonates with others. It has to be something that's relevant. And it simply has to be what my, I was missing before I came to Christ. How empty I was. How unfulfilled. How did I come to Jesus? How did I come to faith and belief in Him? And what has my life been like after? How has Jesus changed my life for the better? God, help us to be willing to share our own personal encounter with You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you guys